Lord Jesus, you are the great healer. We live in a world full of hurts. I pray through your spirit that you would do a wonderful restoring work here among your people this morning. May these words be yours and not my own. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It is good to see you, good to be here, worshiping the true and the living God together as God's gathered people here in Hollis. If you're new here and you don't know who I am, my name is David Bry. I am the teaching pastor here at Hollis Center Church. I'd like to give you a warm welcome. Today we are going to be in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and I've entitled this message, Restoration Today. Restoration Today. Now, I often give fishing illustrations because I really like fishing, so I've got, gained reputation for liking fishing and flannels and things I talk about, but maybe something you don't know about me is I like old tools. I've kind of gotten into woodworking a little bit, and buying new stuff is expensive, and most of it is junk. So what I like to do is I like to go to yard sales and other similar places, Goodwill, and find old tools that have been neglected, abandoned, broken, and then fix them up. And they tend to be better quality than the stuff you'd buy at the store today. And it's extremely satisfying to take something that someone discarded, something that was broken, rusty, and then to bring it back into its glory, bring it back to a state that it is useful. It's just a very satisfying thing. I'm sure some of you watch those shows on TV where they take the cars, it's like barely a car, it's like a wheel and some rusty metal, and then by the end of the show, it's like this $2 million sports car or classic car that they've created out of it. It's very satisfying to watch something be restored. I think there's something there that strikes a nerve with us. I, I, I should say strikes a chord with us because we live in a world where everything is in this state of decay, right? Our cars, believe it or not, they are all rusting out there in the snow and the salt as we speak. We live in a broken world and that extends beyond just the physical. That also extends to our hearts and our minds. We live in a world full of much sorrow and grief and evil, and so it is exciting to see something made new again. Exciting to see something made new again. And so what we're going to dive into today is that Jesus is currently restoring through his people. That Jesus is currently restoring through his people. That there is a work that Jesus does to bring newness of life. And this work that he does, he's doing through his people, the church today. So just as a recap in the book of Acts, we saw how Jesus 
had told his disciples, his apostles, to wait until they received power from the Holy Spirit. And on that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit did, in fact, show up in a very powerful and amazing way with the, the rushing wind and the tongues like fire and then the speaking in tongues. And the miraculous display drew a crowd, and that crowd responded to the preaching of God's word. And they were baptized, and then they reordered their lives. And we talked a bit about that reordered life last week. And today in chapter 3, we are going to see another miracle provide an opportunity for the preaching of God's word. But we are going to discuss the sermon that follows next week. We're going to take a, a slower pace after us kind of getting bombarded with all of chapter 2 last week. So today we're just going to focus on the miracle we find in the beginning of Acts chapter 3. I'm going to start with the first two verses. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So Peter and John, two of Jesus' apostles, two guys that were well-loved by Jesus, who followed Jesus, they are on their way up to the temple. Now, the temple was this beautiful building in the center of Jerusalem. It was a place where God's people, Israel, were supposed to come and worship and offer sacrifices. And it was this huge complex and it was a very fancy place, if I could say that, because King Herod, in his reign, had wanted to appease the Jews, and so he had done a bunch of renovations to it. And so many of the surfaces of the temple were overlaid with gold and silver. It would actually sparkle at a distance. As you're coming up to Jerusalem, it looked, uh, historians at the time said that it looked like a star had fallen to the earth. It's a very beautiful building, but there was one gate... The, the, beautiful, the name beautiful was not its official name, but the people in Jerusalem liked it the most because it wasn't covered in gold or silver. It was co covered in this beautiful Corinthian bronze and brass. And it was just considered more beautiful than the other gates. It was 75 feet high and had huge double doors. So that's a big door, okay? It's not like our front door. It's not like your front door at home. This is a massive gate to the temple. And this is the setting of the story we have here today. Peter and John are going up around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The, the time for offerings and sacrifices has ended. And now there is a time for prayer. A time when often God fears and maybe people who are not ethnically Jewish can come up into the outer parts of the temple. And they could pray. And this is where we see Peter and John. And there's this guy there who has been lame from birth. He has not been able to walk. And we find in the next chapter that he was 40 years old. So there's a 40-year-old man. His entire life, he has not been able to walk. And his life has pretty much consisted of people carrying him and bringing him to this prime begging location so that as people are going up to worship, they might find it in their hearts to honor the Lord in giving money to him. And that's how he made his living. Now, continuing on in verse 3, this is where the scene kind of takes a turn. Seeing Peter and John, 
about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. I think we have all experienced a scene like this as we have walked throughout cities here in the U.S. or where you've maybe uh, come to a stop sign and there's a median strip and there's someone there with a cardboard sign. And they're trying to get money from you. They're trying to get uh, alms from you. And there's, it's awkward. Just to be honest, it's kind of awkward because sometimes the person who is asking for help is very ashamed to be asking for help. And so maybe they don't want to make eye contact with you. And then sometimes uh, you might not be in a situation where you want to have an interaction with this person. And so you don't want to make eye contact. And so I find the eye contact in this story very significant. They're walking up to the temple. And this guy fairly passively, I would argue, says, hey, do you have anything for me? He's not even really looking at them. And then Peter goes, look at us. And, and they gaze intently at this guy. Maybe they're looking for discernment from the Holy Spirit to see what God wants to do in this situation. We don't know exactly, but they gaze very intently at him. They give him their attention. And he expects he's about to receive some money. But Peter said in verse 6, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Here we have this wonderful account of this miracle. But we shouldn't just skim over the fact that Peter and John were broke. The guy says, hey, do you have any money for me? They say, we don't. We don't have any money for you. And this kind of ties back to the previous chapter that the, the Christians at that time, they were living extremely generously and they were sharing their possessions with one another. And when we, when we look throughout the New Testament, the leaders of the churches in the New Testament were not rolling around in Mercedes. They were pretty poor. They were pouring whatever resources they had back into the ministry. And I think we see a wonderful example of this here. They had no money on them. But they do have something for this man. Peter knows where the power comes from. He invokes Jesus' name in doing this healing, Peter does not think that he, in, uh, in himself, of himself, has the ability to heal this man. But he knows that it is Jesus working through him. And he invokes the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus having power. A name carries power. And there's a miracle. And what's cool about this miracle is this miracle reminds us of the many miracles that Jesus did. It follows a similar format of the many times that Jesus healed people in his earthly ministry. A good example would be in John 5, when Jesus healed a man who could not, could not walk. And as the chapter plays out, we're going to see some parallels with the event that took place in John chapter 9, where Jesus healed a blind man, and it caused a whole lot of ruckus among the religious elite. We're going to see that kind of play out in chapter 3, as the Jewish elite 
do not like what is going on through the hands of the apostles and the message of the apostles. But this man is healed immediately. His ankles are made well. Luke, the guy who's writing this, he was a doctor. He has some medical knowledge. And so he takes the time to really put the details in here. The guy had never walked before in his life, and now he's able to. That's incredible. That's incredible. Because any of you who've ever had an injury and have had to go through PT, you know that generally it takes a while to regain something. And if you've never walked in your life, it might take a long, long time. And yet this is miraculous. It's the power of God that's doing this. The ankles are made well. It says immediately. But something greater than this man's ability to walk has been restored to him. There's something actually far more amazing than his ability to walk. And we see this in verse 8. It says, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Every day, this man had sat outside the temple asking for money, and rather than getting to be the people who were going up into the temple to worship their God, he had to work hard, laying there helplessly, trying to get money from these people to survive. And he's been doing this for decades, watching people go up into the temple to worship the living God. And here in his misfortune, he has to sit at the gate and use this as an opportunity to make a living. And yet here in verse 8, we see this man's joy is restored. He is leaping. He is excited. He is praising his God. And then he immediately gets to go into the temple. He gets to go into the temple something he didn't normally get to do. This man's ability to worship has been restored. He's praising his creator with his newly healed body. And now this miracle, it becomes a witnessing opportunity. In verses 9 and 10, it says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. People knew this guy. He was a fixture of the setting. He was a, a fixture of the city. And so they are bewildered. They are filled with wonder and amazement. It's kind of reminding us of what happened in chapter 2. right? With those, those tongues that were being spoken, that were drawing a crowd, and people were hearing miraculously in their own languages, here again, we see people wondering, what's going on? What's happening here? So this miracle is drawing a crowd, and we'll see this lead to a sermon next week. But we should be amazed. We should be amazed by the miraculous restoration that we see here in the book of Acts, and we see throughout the New Testament taking place at the hands of of Jesus' followers. Jesus is gone. And yet Jesus is still working in and through his people, even to do amazing things in restoring what is broken. 
Jesus is currently restoring through his people. Now, in 1922, 1922 was an important year because that was the year that there was a major breakthrough in the, in the ability to treat type 1 diabetes. I'm sure many of you are familiar with diabetes. My mom is a type 1 diabetic. And before 1922, if you, if you developed type 1 diabetes, that was basically a death sentence. Your body wasn't able to produce insulin, and they would just put you on a very restrictive diet, and eventually you would slip into a coma, and then you would die. And so this usually would happen during childhood. And in 1922, they finally, uh, a group of, of doctors and scientists, they finally really discovered a way to use animal insulin to treat humans. And as the myth goes, as kind of the myth around this wonderful event goes, they injected this young boy who was in a coma, like his parents are in this ward, they kind of know this is the end of the line, and they're just kind of waiting around, and they're willing to allow this experimental remedy to be used, and he is injected, and within 15 minutes, he is cognizant, he's sitting up, and he's asking for food. It was a miracle, right? They are just amazed. Their son was basically dying, and now he's sitting up, and he's normal again. And so then as the myth goes, this team is then rushing through this ward to inject as many kids as possible with insulin. And so then news spread of this wonderful event, news spread of this miracle cure, and then everyone wanted it. And this small, you know, team, this doctor who had developed this and the people working with him, it was not like they said, hey, well, this is just for us. Like, we're just going to kind of travel around the country or around the world and we're going to administer this ourselves. No, they had to get production rolling. They had to make sure that they could make as much of this stuff as possible and spread it around the U.S. and spread it around Canada and spread it around the world. Lives were at stake. And I think that's a good illustration for what God is doing through his people. What God is doing through his people. In John chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus said to his followers, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Sometimes we think that, man, if Jesus was here on earth, everything would be better, right? Jesus would be doing miracles. Jesus, Jesus would be teaching. But Jesus was only ever in one spot at a time in his earthly ministry. And yet Jesus said, it's better that I go and I give you, my people, the Holy Spirit, because now God is working in and through his people all around the world, And we have the cure. We have the cure to the sickness that ails humanity. That all of humanity in this broken world has a sin problem. The first man and the first woman, they rebelled against their creator. And so all of us are born sinners. We're lawbreakers. We do not live up to God's standard of holiness. We do not follow his design for humanity. His design for nature. And there's a consequence for that. There's an eternal consequence for that. We experience brokenness now, 
but there's punishment at the hand of the judge later as well. And the good news is that Jesus came. The God himself, Jesus Christ, died on the cross. He took the wrath of God. He took the penalty that was reserved for us, the wrath that would have come upon us. He took it upon himself. So if we put our trust in him, we say, Jesus, I trust you. You have provided the cure for my sickness. We are forgiven. And then we are given the Holy Spirit, and there's this long healing process, and Eventually, one day, either Jesus comes back or we die, and there's a great resurrection, and we are made well, completely and fully. We reign with him forever. That's the good news that we carry. That is, that is a cure to the illness, the illness that all of humanity faces. And so we're looking forward to this complete and future restoration. We're looking forward to you know, the new heavens and the new earth. But, in the meantime, we get to hand out measures of what will one day be complete. It's not that our hope is just in what will come in the end, though that is our greatest hope, but God is still doing a healing work through his people today. It's not, well, great, you're a Christian. Now suck it up till you die. No, but God is a healing God. He wants to do good things in the life of his people. He wants to bring restoration, some now, fully, later. One day, there will be no more broken families. But today... We can be fathers to the fatherless through adoption and foster care. We can support single moms and widows. One day there will be no more tears and anguish over this world, but today we can offer hope that can bring joy in the darkest times. One day there will be no more anxiety or depression, but today we can combat such darkness with loving presence and careful truth. One day, all of God's people will be free from sin, but today, we can help one another be holy and pure. One day, there will be no more sickness, but today, we can still see God miraculously heal physical sickness from time to time. Now, we still live in a broken world. We live in a world where it seems like nothing really goes to our plans, And for those of you in this room who are Christians and you've tried to minister to people and you've tried to help people and you've tried to bring healing into other people's lives, does it always go well? No. Sometimes you offer counsel that is ignored. You offer support that is neglected and discarded. Or it's just unfruitful. There have been many times, right, where we have prayed for miracles and we have not seen them. Sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't. We live in a broken world. The perfect life we're looking for is not here, it's there. But there are glimpses, there are scraps of that restoration that we do get to experience now in the Christian life. 
And so I'd like to briefly talk about the two realities of this restoration, the two sides of this restoration, because I believe if we only look at one side, we get a distorted view of the Christian life. That either we're looking for Christianity to fix all of our problems now immediately, or we are neglecting the fact that God does want to be involved in our lives now and healing us now, and we just push it all off to the end. So the first of these two realities of restoration is partial restoration now, which offers us hope and work to do. That there is partial restoration now that offers us hope and work to do. Christianity is not deism. Now, for those of you that are among the select that have been attending our reasonable faith class at 9.30, you know what deism is. Uh, many of you probably don't, but it's this worldview, it's this idea um, that God came and made the world, he wound it up like a clock, and then he left. He's somewhere else, he's not really that interested in what's going on around here. I mean, he wants what's best for us, but he made the world, and then he's off somewhere else, not really involved. That is not the view of the Bible. We have a whole story, cover to cover, of God being intimately involved with his people and in this world. There is hope for bad marriages. There is hope for sickness. There is hope for mental illness. There is hope for addiction. There is hope for enslaving sins. There is hope for doubts. Two stories that I just think are miraculous stories. One of which would be my own freedom from addiction to pornography. It's, it's a sickness that is just throughout our country, statistically, throughout the people in this room. It's, it's one that's hard to shake. And I tried books and accountability programs. I tried all sorts of stuff. And what finally did it is in college, I devoted myself to prayer. And just every morning, got on my knees, and I just prayed every single morning for God to restore what that had stolen from me, to renew my mind, and guess what? It happened, miraculously. My mind was changed, my desires were changed, my masculinity was changed, restored. It was a miracle. I can't explain it any other way. It was an amazing thing that God did to heal me from something that sin had taken from me. Another story. Uh, they're friends of mine. About our age, I went to school with the wife. And, um, and they, had, they had a hard time. Uh, their, their first pregnancy, they're really excited to have this little girl on the way, and, and she had anencephaly, which for those of you that know about that, that's when the, the, the head really doesn't form properly, and sometimes the brain is outside of the skull, and it's fatal. It's completely fatal. And, and so they had to go through that. They had to go through this very traumatic uh, pregnancy, and just and the absolute grief and loss of that. And I know so many of you have experienced Similar sadness. And then they got pregnant again. And the doctor said, there's some problems. Right, which that's, that's not what you want to hear. You want to think it was a one-off issue, and it wasn't. 
And, and they go to Christ Fellowship Church, a good church. And so that church and then, and then people like us who knew them, we prayed our guts out. We prayed our guts out. Next appointment, they say, huh, that's interesting, that's gone. But there's still another issue. There's still another issue. And so we prayed our guts out again. And, and Laurel was born completely healthy uh, just a matter of months ago. I got to hold her last month for the first time. Just an absolute miracle. Absolute miracle. Statistically, nearly impossible. God did it in response to the prayers of his people. And yet... And yet we live in a broken world where the first child was lost and the second child was healed miraculously. This is the world we live in. It's a tension we have to deal with. Full restoration is not now, but we do serve an amazing God who gives us glimpses now and again. I think three of the greatest tools that God has given us for freedom and restoration are prayer, his word, and Christian community. In James chapter 5, James chapter 5, there's a, there's a section talking specifically about praying for healing and how that works in the church and calling the elders to lay hands on you and confessing sin. And in verse 16, this passage deserves its own sermon. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And he then goes on to say, you know, the great prophet Elijah, he was a dude just like us. And yet look what he accomplished through prayer. Prayer is powerful. It's not this Christian witchcraft that then gives us an ability to have power over God or manipulate God, but prayer is indeed powerful. We are to be people of prayer, and sometimes God will do the unthinkable, the unimaginable in response to our prayers. Secondly, God's word. In 2 Timothy 3, Verses 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We need to be completed. None of us are complete, none of us know everything especially not everything about God or the Christian life. I don't think there's been a single baby that has come out of the womb and said, hey, I know everything. I am complete. No, as human beings, we grow, we change, and we need God to be in the driver's seat of that change because we live in a world that is pulling us to change in ways that are destructive and detrimental. And that's where God's word comes in. God's word is breathed out by our creator for our good, to teach us, correct us, train us, that we may be complete and useful in the kingdom of God. Prayer is a powerful tool. God's word is a powerful tool. It's, it's how our minds are renewed. And then Christian community, I think that is the tool that covers all tools. 
Because for most of us, Christian community is going to be how we experience prayer, how we experience God's word, how we experience so many of the other comforts and supports that God wants to offer us is through his people. But just a glimpse of that in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We have a responsibility as Christians to help one another in times of difficulty, to help one another as we struggle uh, to escape the bondage of sin. Christianity is a team sport. Is not a solo activity. And so it's through prayer and God's word and Christian community that the Holy Spirit does this work of being sent out by Jesus and bringing restoration to this world. Bringing healing among God's people. I think in this is a call for us to help others teach others, pray expectantly for others. God is doing something in and among his people. He's, he's bringing glimpses of the, of the restoration and the healing that will one day be final, and he's doing it here. Not just here, but he's doing it here. May this be a place to find healing. Some of you may feel hopeless. You might feel stuck. You may feel like there's this sin in my life. I just can't shake it. There's this doubt in my mind I just can't get rid of. Well, this is a wonderful place to come, plug in, ask questions, find support, and grow to find healing. We should be people of the word, people of prayer, people of community. And yet... Our problems are not going to all be fixed in this life. Anyone who sells you that is lying to you, right? Anyone who says, oh, this supplement thing, it's going to change your life. It's going to fix all your problems. Or people who say religion is going to fix all of your problems now, right? Just, just take our 17-book course and get initiated into our cult, and then you will become this enlightened person, and you won't have money problems anymore, and you won't have health problems anymore, that's hogwash. This world is messed up. And we've experienced that here. The longer you are here in this community, you have seen how messed up this world is, and yet simultaneously, you have seen the grace of God overshadow that darkness as God's people come together and remind each other of the hope, and we pray, and we dig into God's word, and we see that God is good season after season after season. But there's some wounds that only eternity can heal. Aren't there? Right? There's some problems, no matter how long you pray, you're still really just longing for the final restoration. And that's okay. That's okay. Not every problem is going to be fixed in this life. So that brings us to the, the second half, this Second reality of restoration, and that is full restoration in the end, offers us the greatest hope and the greatest work to do. We do have hope in that God does cool and amazing things through his people, and we have work to do in that God has called us to, 
Invest in this place, invest in God's people in a way that brings healing to others. But our greatest hope is something else. Our greatest hope is in the gospel. We need a savior. We don't just need coaching. We don't just need correction. We need a savior. We need someone to actually deal with our sins, to provide that eternity for us. And Jesus is the one who provides that. I would imagine most of you have a primary care physician, PCP, or a doctor, right? You have, you have someone that you go to if you, and they give you checkups or, I mean, maybe some of you are like, no, it's too expensive. I just rub sticks together in the woods and smear them on my face and hopefully everything's okay. Believe it or not, I am not one of those guys, even though most of you think I am. I do use mushrooms for medicine, but I also take real medicine as well, just in case you were worried about me. That was not in my notes. Okay. <laughs> but when you go to your primary care physician and they go, man, that's weird. I don't, know, I don't know how to fix that. Where do they send you? A specialist, right? They don't just go, I don't know what it is. Sucks to suck. Or maybe, maybe some of you have a doctor that, that says that. You need to find yourself a new doctor because that person is not looking out for your health. Right? When, when a doctor doesn't know what to do, they send you to a specialist. And so often in the Christian life, that's the core of what we do is we refer people to the specialist. Like, I'm a pastor. I can't fix all your problems. I'm not going to claim to be able to fix all of your problems. I believe there are wonderful answers in God's word. I believe that prayer is powerful. But I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the power. You know who does? Jesus. And even if your wounds are so deep that you never see full healing in this life, full restoration in this life, Jesus will deal with it in eternity. If you are purchased with his blood, if you are, are forgiven and insured and, and you are a child of the living God, He's going to make all things new and you will be there at his side when he does. That's better than any book, better than any pastoral counseling, better than anything we experience in this life. That is our greatest hope. And so that means our greatest work is to share the gospel. Our greatest work is to share the good news with others. To call people to put their trust in Jesus. Because, you know, often we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the solutions. But one day Christ will make all things new. We need more than just self-help. You can go in a bookstore, you can find a bazillion and one self-help books. Psychological self-help books. Christian self-help books. New Age self-help books. Maybe you'll find something there. But we need Jesus. We need a Savior. We can't just fix ourselves. We cannot just tweak our body with, with pills and chemicals and exercise and tweak our minds with books and podcasts and make ourselves into the perfect man. It does not work. It doesn't work. Some of you have been fighting to change yourself from the outside for years. You think, if I just muscle down, maybe it's, it's one more lesson that I need to learn. You can't do it. 
You need Jesus. He can change what none of us can. He can transform which none of us can. So please, if you don't know Jesus, don't ignore the good news that's present before you. Please do not ignore the free gift of salvation and new life and eternity. Jesus is currently restoring through his people. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. In response to your word, in response to our hope we have in you, Holy Spirit, would you please bring our minds to rest and our hearts to peace that we might dwell on your truth in these moments? That we wouldn't have our minds wandering after what we have to do next, but we would be fully present here thinking about your word. Holy Spirit, would you please bring to our minds, in response to your word, an area of our life where we need restoration and healing? Maybe it's a health issue, a family issue, a character issue, a substance issue, a mental issue. Would you please bring that need to our minds? And Lord, with these unrestored parts of our lives on our minds, would you give us the discernment in this moment to know whether this is something you wish to restore in this life or something that won't be fully restored until the next? And if this is something, Lord, you want to restore in this life among your people, would you please bring to our minds how you would wish us to find healing among your church? And if that's you, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I believe this is something that God wants to deal with in this life. I believe this is something that God wants to change. Would you pray this prayer silently after me? Jesus, I commit myself to the process of finding restoration among your people. Help me to be brave, open, prayerful, and steadfast. Amen. And Lord, if the brokenness that is coming to our minds is not something that will be fully dealt with in this life, Please well up hope in us and peace that is grounded in your plan for our lives and for eternity. And so if that's you, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I feel like this problem is going to be with me till the grave. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, I encourage you to pray this prayer after me. Silently in your seats, Jesus. Help me to put my trust in and find my hope fully in your eternal plan. Amen.
Lord, please help all of us to be part of your restoration in this broken world. And all of God's people said, Amen. If you felt ministered to or challenged in that time of prayer, I'd encourage you to come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. Often I'm in that corner and I get trapped in there. You know, I can only talk to so many people. So there are also elders all around the church um, who have these name tags. And them and their wives would love to pray with you, love to chat with you. I pray that today would be a, a day of healing, a step towards restoration in many of your lives. God is doing a restoring work among his people. Let's continue in worship.